It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everyone, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome to the show, everyone. we got a great one for you today here on this Thursday, August 5th, as we look to preview UFC 265 Lewis versus Gone, which, which will take place on Saturday, August 7th at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. Uh, as always, great to be back with you guys. We've got a very big show for you today. Uh, you know, we got a pay-per-view coming up. Uh, you know, the UFC is on a roll. MMA in general is on a roll with, uh, you know, the, uh, the the stellar show that Bellator put on last weekend. And it's NSS 50. I mean, it's, you know what I mean? It's not quite 100. I mean, that's that's definitely, that, that's going to be a big deal. But it's 50. 50 is a big deal. It's halfway to a big deal. So that's exciting for the uh, the main card showdown. Uh, as always, we start off with some of the housekeeping, and really housekeeping is just main card showdown at this point. I mean, let's be real. NSS 50, it's going to be fucking huge. I wish I could charge a pay-per-view for it, but you know what I mean? It's just free for everybody because that's just how nice of a guy I am. But uh, yeah, going to be big. I'm the champ. I don't know I don't know who's going to challenge me. I, I don't know. Reagan won last week. Uh, I think Gary Gooseman's on a, on a three-bout winning streak, but I think I'm 4-0 against him, so I don't really think there's a whole lot of demand for me to get my fifth win against Gary Gooseman. So I don't know. He's probably most deserving, but I don't think it's going to be Gary Gooseman. Maybe Reagan. Maybe it's Drew. Maybe we go Trilogy to start off the uh, 2021 season. You know, he won the first one of this season. You know, I got revenge. Maybe a Trilogy. I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like it. I always like getting wins over Drew because they're always easy knockouts. I mean, just look at the records. I mean, it's something astronomical. It's like 14, 4, and 4 with like 12 knockouts. So, you know what I mean? Easy work. Point to the easy work. And, you know, it, it's not uh, conducive to, uh, you know, a podcast, but I'm pointing towards Oakdale, Minnesota because that's where the easy work lives. The easy work lives in Oakdale, Minnesota. Let me tell you that much champ shit resides here in in bloomington minnesota um or i guess minneapolis minnesota that's where the company is although unfortunately the company is going to have to relocate our headquarters uh legally so <laughs> it's not going to be from minneapolis anymore for for that much longer but that's okay we can say it is although not legally you can't legally but um yeah no good shit um i still haven't done the the rankings I still haven't done them. Shame on me. You know, here I am being a good boy doing this uh, preview show on, I'm going to call it Thursday morning. Really, it's very late Wednesday night. By the time this is up, it's going to be Thursday morning. But I still haven't done the fucking rankings for last week. So shame on me. You know, I'm going to get better about uh, doing stuff like this in a timely fashion. But uh, that starts next week. So... Don't expect those rankings anytime anytime soon. They're going to get done when they get done. But 265's rankings are going to get done in a timely manner. Um, yeah, that's about it. So we can get right into the uh, preview here. Uh, should be a good pay-per-view. 13 fights on the fight card. Uh, we got the main card, prelims, and early prelims. That's how you know it's going to be a good one when you have the early prelims. And uh, we'll start off here with uh, a couple of canceled and fizzled bouts courtesy of Tapology, because uh, that's very kind of them to let us know what was canceled. Obviously, Amanda Nunes was supposed to defend her bantamweight uh, strap against Juliana Pena, but she tested positive for COVID, uh, that being Nunez, and that is postponed, I don't know, I'd imagine a couple of months, I don't fucking know. I, I have no interest in watching Amanda Nunes fight. She would have starched Pena if it was... 265 or 270 it really doesn't matter or any pay-per-view in between i mean it's not competitive and then we also had the uh, the main event last weekend it was supposed to be on this pay-per-view but uh, they rescheduled that and made that a main event so 
uh, after the uh, the shit show last week in regards to bouts falling out. I mean, there I think there was more canceled bouts if you look at the totality of of uh, you know that event being a thing. There were more canceled bouts than than bouts that actually happened. Um, although it was a it was it was a very good fight card. It was a good fight card, but uh, kind of plagued by that. And uh, I think any card that has Nico Montano on it is just doomed. And uh, thank fuck she's no longer in the UFC. So uh, yeah, that it was not a. You know, I, I heard some people saying that was a fall from grace. I don't know about that. I mean, you'd have to have grace at some point, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, it should be a good one. We'll start here in the uh, with the early prelim opener. It's going to be in the bantamweight division, the loaded bantamweight division between Johnny Munoz Jr. and Jamie Simons. Uh, we'll also take a look at the odds uh, coming from Odds Shark. And Munoz is going to be a pretty heavy uh, minus 265 favorite. Uh, I don't really have a whole lot to uh, to say on this one. Munoz has a nickname that uh, I cannot pronounce, so that's, uh, that's always uh, interesting. Uh, he made his debut back uh, basically a year ago, lost to uh, Nate Manus, who has a very unfortunate uh, name. Uh, I believe I was... Uh, I, I believe I thought this was a different guy because I thought he was the guy who was the um, uh, short notice like alternate for uh, the Ultimate Fighter uh, 22 between Faber and McGregor, uh, but maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Uh, yeah, I must be. Either way, I, I don't I don't know. I'm gonna go Johnny Munoz. I was not very impressed by Jamie Simons. He did have a tough debut against Kika Chikadze and got knocked out in the first round. So. I mean, I you know I don't know. I'm gonna go Johnny Munoz by decision because fuck it. Uh, moving on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be trying to be Jesus stumbling over my words here. Just too excited. Um, but I'm gonna try to go a little quicker on some of these prelims because a lot of these I don't uh, have amazing insight to. You know, people making their UFC debut. I don't cover regional MMA. Uh, we're gonna have a fight here between. Uh, Victoria Leonardo and Melissa Gatto in the uh, women's flyweight division. Uh, Leonardo is 8-3, Gatto is 6-0-2. Oh, Always interesting when people have two draws that young in their career. Taking a look at the odds here. Uh, it's gonna, they're both going to be uh, a minus 110 pick them. Um, I liked Leonardo on the uh, contender series. But uh, Chelsea Hackett also was insanely, insanely young. I think I, she might have been 19. She might have been 19, maybe 20, and uh, had four fights uh, as a, a, a professional. So uh, I, I think Hackett is a legit prospect, and they certainly talked her up like one. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Leonardo looked good, kind of stole the, the, the thunder from her. Uh, kind of ran into someone who I think is going to be a real problem, uh, Manon uh, Fioro. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but the uh, French kickboxer who's had uh, quite quite the start to her career, I think. I think she's 2-0 and or, or, or 3-0, and all with uh, uh, TKO or KO stoppages. So I think that's a real problem. So it's always, it's always fun when you're doing these uh, previews where... Uh, you know, somebody might not have the best record ever, like someone who's 0-1 in the UFC, like uh, Leonardo, but it's always fun trying to, you know, trying to make sense of, well, you know, you, you lost to a very legitimate prospect, so you may, you know, it, it's trying to figure out the stock market, like GSP's talking about, uh, you know, and, and, and trying to uh, really stratify where people are. Um, I, I don't remember seeing anything from Gato. She is 25, and uh, she's had four canceled bouts uh, in the UFC. Uh, she did have a win over Carol Hosa uh, on the regional scene, but this is someone who was signed, because I remember looking at a list, and uh, she's always at the top of the list because I think she's the fighter who's been signed the longest to make her debut who has not debuted. At least on the list that I saw, meaning, uh, you know, she was signed in like late 2018 and just hasn't made her debut. Uh, she, no, she she couldn't have been suspended if she had all these canceled uh, bouts. 
uh, that's probably some other Brazilian who's cheating. But uh, yeah, I don't know a whole lot about here. So um, hmm, I don't know. She has she has some submission wins on her regional record. Doesn't exactly look like a striker from what I can gather, which is what Leonardo needs to improve on. Uh, that was very evident in the the, the Manon fight. Uh, definitely more of a wrestler. So I'm gonna go Leonardo. I'll pr- I'm probably wrong on this. I probably should go Gato, uh, but it is it is a pick. I'm I'm gonna go Leonardo. Uh, I think her her wrestling is what gets it done. And uh, if Gato turns out to be a good striker, then uh, well I'm fucked. All right, moving on here to the I guess the the early prelim headliner uh, we can call it. Uh, or no, excuse me. Got a couple of different uh, lists I'm looking at here. So just another uh, early prelim fight here. Uh, it's going to be in the bantamweight division. A lot of lighter weight fights here uh, to start off the pay-per-view. Uh, this in the bantamweight division between Miles Johns and Anderson Dos Santos. Johns is 11-1. and DeSantos is 21-8. and We'll take a look at the odds here. And uh, Miles Johns is going to be the minus 190 favorite. Um, really the forgotten face of the contender series from season one. Um, obviously there's been plenty of great fighters, uh, great and young and promising, um, fighters off of the contender series, but this, this was really the first, uh, I don't want to say star because people forgot about him and people don't forget about stars, but really like the first guy you went like, oh wow, like that guy's going to be interesting to see how his career goes from season one. And uh, I, I believe he had some issues uh, getting some fights in the in the UFC um, off of the contender series, and then uh, had a, a an, an unfortunate loss, excuse me, against uh, Mario Batista, where he got knocked out with a flying knee. Uh, he came back, had a really good knockout of Kevin Natividad, was kind of beating him around, although uh, that, that was a pretty close fight from what I can remember. Although Johns was definitely winning it. Um, so two and one in the UFC has a win over uh, uh, Richie Santiago on the Contender Series. So really, really two and a half and one in, in the UFC. I mean, I don't know. It's tight. you know because some people get cakewalks in the Contender Series and some people fight like really good fighters in the Contender Series. So sometimes you you know you have the the want to include that as a UFC win, although technically it's not. Uh, and he also has a split decision win over Adrian Yanez back in uh, 2018 in LFA. So uh, that's interesting. And then, you know, how can you how can you hate somebody like Anderson Dos Santos? I mean, he's got the uh, the greatest Brazilian first name of all time and one of the greatest Brazilian last names of all time. You know what I mean? He's got the he's got the grace of Anderson Silva and he's got the power of uh, Junior Dos Santos. Although hopefully not currently. Because uh, you know neither of them are in the UFC. I'm obviously going to go with Miles Johns on this one. I don't I don't really have uh, too much to say on Anderson Dos Santos. Uh, he he finally got his first win in the UFC uh, at the end of 2020. He had a win over Martin Day. A couple of you know uninspiring losses to Andre Ewell and Ned Niramani. So uh, definitely a guy who's a little lower on the totem pole. So I think Miles Johns should get this done. I, I think he'll get the finish. He's not really a it's not really a, a starcher, you know, in round one, but maybe round two or round three, he gets the, the finish of uh, Dos Santos. All right, moving on here to the early prelim headliner. It's going to be in the flyweight division between Manel Kopp and Oday Osborne. Kopp is 15 and 6, Osborne is 9 and 3. Taking a look at the odds here, and Kopp's going to be the, one, the minus 190 favorite um i don't think we have him i don't think we have either of these guys ranked um this is this is an interesting fight because i think there's a very very wide spectrum for what can happen in this fight i don't like i don't so i'm a really big fan of manel cop i really am i think his striking is hmm I'm going to say it's top three in the flyweight division. I, I'm going to say, because I don't want to be hyperbolic and be like, oh, this is the best striker in the flyweight division. You know, I try to actually mean what I say. I think he's a top three striker in the flyweight division right now. I think you have to put Moreno, one, Figueredo, when he's not 
you know, just depleted and fucking whatever the hell happened in his last fight, too. Um, and then Manel Cop number three. His striking is so fucking good. His footwork is stellar. He takes no damage. He, he really takes no damage. I mean, he... He's he's kind of like uh, he's kind of like the flyweight version of of uh, Wonder Boy Thompson, um, but he's just so goddamn tentative that he lost his first two fights in the UFC because he just wouldn't engage. And his his uh, I'll see if I can pull up the stats here, but his striking stats are really good. Uh, they don't look super good on on paper, um, but not that they, not that they look bad, but. In that fight against uh, Mateos Nicolau, he was landing the bigger strikes. He's he he doesn't he's not somebody who's just gonna pump out the jab and stay active and just you know put up Colby Covington numbers. He's somebody who really picks his shots carefully, and so he has a he has a high striking percentage and his, his strikes are really good. It's just man, you got to be a little more active. I think he beat uh, Alexandre Pantoja. Uh, and he lost that by unanimous decision. And then he lost uh, via split decision to Mateus Nicolau. I'm not going to say that's a robbery, but that's a very bad decision. I don't, I do not see how Nicolau won that fight. I, I really don't. I really don't. I, I strongly disagree with that. I want to pull up MMA decisions because I want to see uh, what people have to say, what the, uh, the esteemed members of uh, the MMA press have to say about that. I, I'm going to guess they probably thought Pantoja won, and I'm going to guess they probably thought Cop won against Nicolau. Um, but even even against Pantoja, he, he just won because he moved forward. And that's another thing that's kind of shitty about Manel Cop's game uh, is, you know, if you don't engage and you're always backing up, like, uh, that just doesn't look good to the judges. I'm not saying he has to be fucking Vanderlei Silva. But you know, in close fights where you're just trying to outpoint, when you're when you're playing point karate with somebody, yeah, you know you can't really can't really do that. Holy sh- shit! Every single media member scored that for Manel Cop. Not a single one had that for Nicolau. So I am gonna call that a robbery. I think I think that is a robbery. Um, every single media member had that 29-28 for Manel Cop. Uh, so that's fucking crazy. But again. I don't want to. I don't want to victim shame or victim blame Manel Cop, but you can't. You can't leave shit in in the judges' hands. Or if you are gonna go to a decision, goddamn, you just gotta be a little more active. A little more active. Um. Oh, definitely clicked on some wrong uh, tabs there. I was trying to figure out um, the Pantoja. Oh, some people thought Pantoja won 30-27. Ooh, nobody scored that for. Manel Cop, okay, alright, whatever that wasn't really a hill I was gonna die on but, man, I don't know so, you know, fucking long story short, I think Manel Cop's gonna win, I think he's gonna learn from his first two losses, if you go 0-3 there's no guarantee you have uh, you know, a, a UFC contract at that point so this is, it's not hyperbolic to say this is a must win for Manel Cop this guy was a champ over in Ryzen Ryzen's a, a, a respectable organization, certainly in the lower weight classes you know, just because Japan and Asian MMA skews, uh, you know, uh, to, to have deeper and, uh, I don't want to say better fighters at lightweight, at lighter weights, except maybe flyweight. I think one FC's flyweight division there, I guess they're straw weight cause straw weight's 125 for them. Uh, their, their straw weight's probably better than the UFC flyweight, uh, on the whole, not, not, on, not at the, uh, at the top, you know, they don't, they don't have a Brandon Moreno, but I think depth-wise, they they probably beat the UFC. But again, the, and, and you know, when I say I could see this fight going many different ways, I mean Manel Cop is capable of getting an early finish. I think he's going to be patient, but he's going to be more assertive. And then Ode Osborne, we've seen, you know, he can he can get very quick finishes. And Cop kind of struggled on the ground against Nicolau and Pantoja. You know, the takedowns were there. He did get taken down at, at least a handful of times. Uh, like a, a couple of times per round, he got taken down, and yeah, that's pretty dangerous against Ode Osborne because uh, his his last five wins are all first round finishes. Uh, he's got two of them from a triangle choke, uh, one from an arm bar, and then two uh, uh, knockout finishes, TKO finishes. So Osborne's dangerous. So if you can weather that storm, 
not exactly give away the first round because Manel Cop definitely doesn't want to be in the business of giving away rounds. I think it's probably Cop's win, or Cop's fight to win. But uh, Osborne is a live dog. That is, that is for true, as uh, some people might say. All right, moving on here to the prelim opener. It's going to be in the strawweight division between Karolina Kovalkiewicz and Jessica Penne. Kovalkiewicz is 12 and 6. Penne is 13 and 5. We'll take a look at the odds here. And Kovalkiewicz will be the minus 125 favorite. I'm not too sure about that. But I like the matchmaking here. I really do. Kovalkiewicz is never going to work her way back to the title. In fact, I believe she contemplated retiring after her last loss to uh, Zhao uh, Nan Yan. Um, so she's never going to work her way back to the title. There's no reason to put her in there against a fucking killer strawweight prospect, if that even... I mean, I don't even know if the UFC has a killer strawweight prospect, but, you know, there's no reason to put her in there against, you know, some some 22-year-old prospect. I, I really like the matchmaking. You know, Jessica Panay is, has not exactly been the most active fighter uh, over the last handful of years. Had a, a, a four-year layoff before coming back in April uh, against Lupita Godinez. And before that, she was on a three-fight losing streak. So I think it's fair. These are two fighters who have not exactly been super active. Uh, although you'd have to give the activity to Kovalkiewicz, but, you know, not blowing anybody away. Uh, they're older, and, you know, I, I think it's good. It makes it hard to pick this fight because I... Fuck if I know. I need to get a coin. I really need to get a coin. I wonder if I can get one made, like the North Star logo, that I can just flip for fights like this because I don't fucking know. I mean... <laughs> I don't know who's going to win this one. Uh, you know, Penne lost to Danielle Taylor. That's a very bad loss four years ago, so it's hard to imagine she got any better since then. And Godinez was making her debut. But Kovalkiewicz has kind of been dominated. I mean, got knocked out against Andrade. She hasn't won since uh, April of 2018, and that was the split decision over Felice Herrig. You know, Watterson's good. Grosso's good. Jan is good. So maybe just on strength of, of schedule, I'm going to go with Kovalkiewicz. I thought I saw that she was um, training or at least hanging out with uh, Joanna Champion, which is awesome. So yeah, I'm going to go Carolina on this one, but I, I don't really have any strong feelings either way. And I could look into the stats on this one, but the thing is, I just think they're so outdated. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know, because you know, it includes stats from you know, their entire career. So it's Kovalkiewicz when she was making her debut in, in 2015 or whatever. So, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. But Penne does get hit with a lot of strikes. That has never changed. So I'm going to go Kovalkiewicz by uh, unanimous decision because I don't think she's, uh, I don't think she's, uh, she's had, yeah, well, three finishes in her career, but she's never had a finish in the UFC. So we'll go Kovalkiewicz by unanimous decision. All right, moving on here to the light heavyweight division. We'll have a fight here between Ed Shortfuse Herman and Alonzo Menafield. Herman is 25 and 14. Menafield is 10 and 2. Taking a look at the odds here, uh, we'll have Menafield as the minus 250 favorite. Uh, should be a good one. Again, very appropriate matchmaking. Um, I'm, I'm gonna have to favor Alonzo Menafield. I would hate to just, you know, you know, uh, dilute this down to power, but, I mean, Jesus Christ, this guy has insane power. And, uh, you know, Herman is a veteran. He's picked up, uh, you know, he knows a thing or two because he's, he's seen a thing or two. So, you know, we saw him cheat his way to a victory in his last uh, outing against Mike Rodriguez. So, you know, Ed Herman, a little bit of a scumbag also has a little bit of a temper so i don't know ed, ed herman doesn't really seem like a great guy i don't, I don't you know i hope i'm not speaking out of turn here but uh yeah i think menafield just i think it's it's just a gang initiation i think menafield just beats the shit out of him and knocks him out you know herman uh he's old and uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, you beat Patrick Cummins at the very, very end of his career. I mean, that dude was racking up the losses. Uh, Kitty Sibagrimov was not that good. I think he's lucky he had a couple of fights fall out against Daun Jung because you look at what Jung did to um, 
shit, who was it? Phillips. But then uh, I believe it was somebody after Phillips as well. But Jung looked really good. I think Jung would have pieced up Herman. Um, so, yeah, I think I think Menafield, uh I don't know. There's something special there with Menafield striking-wise, although, you know, the, the, the finish loss to uh, OSP... You know, not not very good, and he got out wrestled by Devin Clark. I definitely think the 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 route to victory for Ed Herman is to uh, fake nut shots and uh, try to take him down, because if he tries to stand with Menafield, I think he gets knocked out. Um, yeah, and I I don't know. I mean, he, he had the submission victory over Fabio Charant, but I think that was more facilitated by uh, you know fear of his striking. I mean, and his striking as well uh, being effective. So. Yeah, we'll go Menafield by uh, round one KO because this dude gasses out like nobody's fucking business. So I mean, his if this goes to a second round, it's it's probably gonna be a victory for Ed Herman. Uh, it's about as simple as that. All right, moving on here to uh, well, prelim co-main event, I guess if we want to get you know overly specific. Uh, we've got a fight taking place here in the bantamweight division between Draco Rodriguez and Vince Morales. Rodriguez is seven and two. Morales nine and five. Uh, looking at the odds here, uh, we'll have Morales as the minus one fifteen favorite, but it is a pick'em. Uh, Draco is uh, Drew's favorite fighter. I don't really know why. I never really asked him. Um, I don't know. Maybe he's a big fan of the Contender Series. Uh, or King of the Cage, I guess. I don't know. Maybe he watches uh, regional Canadian MMA. Excuse me. Got to have a little Powerade uh, break in there. Um, yeah, kind of weird to have this so high up on the, the prelims. I don't really uh, understand it. Uh, Draco got knocked out pretty badly. Got caught by Eamon Zahabi, who was def- desperate to get a win desperate to get a win because he was 0-2 in the UFC and being Frost Zahabi's brother, I believe, will only take you so far. So, you know, still looking for his uh, first victory in the UFC. And then uh, Vince Morales, uh, 30 years old, had a handful of fights uh, in the UFC, came off the Contender Series, although although he lost in the cont- on the Contender Series, went to Bellator, came to the UFC. Tough debut against uh, uh, Song Yadong, a win over Eamon Zahabi. Zahabi. So you know how we like MMA math. So, you know, that's that's interesting. And then uh, a loss to Benito Lopez. And then a leg kick finish. Uh, a leg kick loss, excuse me, uh, against Chris Gutierrez. I think like one of nine in UFC history. I'm going to go Morales because, I, you know, when I can't really decipher a whole lot from two uh, youngsters who are off to not great starts to their career... Uh, I'm just going to go with the MMA math. So Vince beats Eamon. Draco gets knocked out by Eamon. Okay, I'm going to go Vince Morales. You know what I mean? MMA math is often wrong, but I feel like it's more right than it's wrong. Like, not by a lot. Obviously, there's a bunch of parody in the sport. But, like, MMA math, is ha- it's got to be correct, like, 60% of the time. You know, where, like, 40% of the time you got to use your intuition and dive into context and shit like that. But, you know... I don't know. I feel. I feel like, you know, the majority of the time, it's it's probably correct. So I'm gonna go Vince Morales. Although I hope Draco never hears me say that I picked Vince Morales because he looks very scary. But you know, uh, striking wise, they're they're give give one to take one. Uh, Vince lands a little bit higher significant strikes. His defense is way better. But again, I think that's a little skewed because of, you know, it's only one fight for, for Draco. So, yeah, I'm going to go Vince Morales by unanimous decision. All right, moving on here to the prelim headliner. It's going to be in the 155-pound division between Hafiel Faziv and Bobby Green. Fazeev is 9-1. Green is 27-11-1. Taking a look at the odds, Fazeev is the bordering on heavy favorite uh, as, as the minus 285 favorite. Uh, this is a good fight. I really, really like this uh, matchup here. I think it's just what Fazeev needs. I think it's just what Green needs. You know, Green's been around for some time. You know, you can steal a little shine from beating, you know, a pretty highly touted prospect who has um, shown why he's that highly touted in the UFC with some of his finishes. 
uh, most notably the, the, the knockout of uh, the highlight level knockout of uh, Hinato Moicano. And then for Fazeev to be, I'm going to call him a UFC mainstay. I mean, he's been around for a long time, winning more fights than he's losing these days. You know, kind of had a really rough stretch uh, a few years ago. But high-level striking, really high-level striking. Um, Bobby Green was not really somebody that I committed to memory until he started going on this win streak. Um, but that was a mistake on my part. This guy is, I, I do think he's the the real deal in the sense that, like, I, I really think, and I mean, you've, we've seen this with, uh, what is it, he has a, uh, a win... Oh no! I should be thinking of something else. But 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 again, Bobby Green is a real deal in the sense that, um, like, I think you could put him in there against literally anybody, and it's and you know he's gonna have a chance. He he might still lose, you know what I mean? But like, oh, you could put him in there with the number eight lightweight, and like, I think it's gonna be close. Like he's not somebody who's, you know, you're not gonna get anything off of Bobby Green. You might win, but you're not gonna get anything off of him. Uh, again. Like I, like I said, he had that tough stretch from uh, 2014 to 2019. He was uh, 1, 5, and 1. And uh, then he had that matchup against Clay Guida. Rattled off three unanimous decision victories. Uh, Guida, Veneta, and Patrick. And then uh, lost to uh, Tiago Moises on the uh, Halloween card last year. Uh, and then uh, Rafael Fiziev. Uh, kind of unceremoniously came into the uh, the UFC. Nobody really gave a shit. Got knocked out by Megamed Mustafayev. And then two wins over Alex White and Mark Chikese. And then uh, the, the really impressive knockout of Hinato Moicano, who is not a striker and found that out the hard way. Um... Uh, I'm, I'm going to pick Fazeev here. I feel like that's the trendy pick. I, I would not want to count out Bobby Green. Definitely the toughest fight of Fazeev's career. Uh, but I, I'm going to go Fazeev. I think his striking is better. Uh, you know, Green's been pretty active. He's kind of getting up there in age just a little bit. Uh, he's going to have a couple of inches uh, height-wise on Fazeev, but ever so slightly, Fazeev will have the uh, the reach advantage. But, you know, it looks like he was striking in the in the matrix. Uh, and, and these are two active fighters too, so you know I, I think this very very easily could be fight of the night. I mean I I really do. I mean this is uh, this is uh, very nice. So yeah I'm gonna go, but I, I don't think Fazeev finishes Bobby Green. Bobby Green's pretty fucking tough, so I'm gonna go unanimous decision on this one for Rafael Fazeev. All right, moving on now to the main card opener. It's going to be in the bantamweight division between uh, Song Yadong and Casey Kenny. Uh, Song Yadong is 16-5-1. Kenny is 16-3-1. We'll take a look at the odds. And Kenny's going to be the minus 115 favorite, although it technically uh, will be a pick'em. Uh, I want to pull up. I should have done this earlier, but uh, I apologize. But I want to pull up the uh, highly prestigious, as fancy people would say. That's how you know it's good. The highly prestigious uh, UFC rankings because I know... Actually, did we move Song out of the rankings? That's a million-dollar question here. He, he is, so we moved him out. So this is an unranked fight, according to North Star Sports. Okay, that's... That changes everything, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, not really, but good fight here. You know, two guys, I mean, again, Song Yudong was just in the rankings, uh, and Casey Kenny would have been in the rankings if he beat Dominic Cruz. So two guys that are, you know, probably number 16, 17, 18 in the bantamweight, you know, uh, pecking order. You know, somebody, it wouldn't, Hmm. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if if either of these fighters got a win if the UFC puts them in the rankings. Uh, I don't think I will for North Star Sports, but it wouldn't shock me if they got into the rankings. Uh, Casey Kenny's kind of an uh, interesting guy with some of his opinions, and Song Yudong uh, has definitely been on the uh, well, I guess the good end of some wrong decisions. Some favorable wrong decisions have gone his way. Most notably the uh, Cody Stamen fight and the uh, Marlon Vera fight. Uh, I think uh, Marlon Vera won that fight, and I think 
what is it? Because because the Stamen fight that was a draw because Song Yudong kept cheap shotting him. So really, you could make the case that Song Yudong is on a three fight losing streak. Um, so that's obviously not good. I like that he's at Team Alpha Male. I don't know that I think of him as a wrestler, so I, I kind of like that he's, uh, you know, over there putting in some work. Uh, striking numbers look good. Again, it's not against the uh, the greatest of competition. And I, I know I say that all the time, but really, when you look at who he, the, the first four fighters, uh, or first three fighters that he fought in his UFC career, Barat Kandahari... Felipe Orantes and Vince Morales like who okay um so he's kind of struggled he's kind of uh running into a wall here now that he's reached a certain point in the UFC the good thing for him is he's only 23 years old uh I mean I don't know what it is but Chinese fighters seem to really 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 put in the uh uh the, the fights when they're young I mean you look at you know Zhang Weili coming over when she was what like 18 and oh or something 18 and one song Yudong had a million fights before he came to the ufc uh you know it seems like they uh don't have a whole lot of uh resting time in between some of their early fights in their career and uh casey kenny good wrestler good wrestler very credentialed wrestler too i forgot his credentials but i'm sure they're good uh lost a split decision to dominic cruz really should have been unanimous but uh uh, he had a nice upset win over uh, Nathaniel Wood, a finish of uh, Luis Smolka. Ran into uh, Marab Davalashvili, lost that one. But I really, you know, I really became a fan of Casey Kenny with his win over Manny Bermudez because Kenny was a flyweight in uh, LFA, comes to the UFC, moves up to 135. Manny Bermudez misses weight. I think he comes in at 140, so basically a fucking featherweight. So basically it's a flyweight versus a featherweight, and he pretty much dominates the undefeated uh, Manny Bermudez. Has a win over Ray Borg, a win over uh, Brandon Royval on the regional scene. So Casey Kenny really has a nice uh, body of work for where he's at um, in his career. I'm going to have to go with Casey Kenny on this one. I think he needs to uh, wear one of those steel Muay Thai cups or whatever uh, and, you know, really watch out for the cheap shots here. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's got good wrestling. Uh, you know, I, I don't mind his, his striking, uh, good pace. And, uh, you know, I think he'll get it done here against Song Yudong. Uh, you know, I, I think this is going to be a, a case of somebody who's kind of stalled out uh, with Song Yudong versus somebody who is ran into some tough losses in the UFC, really just two, and kind of, you know, passed all the other challenges with flying colors. So just unfortunately, you know, some losses and some key moments. You know, if he had beaten Marab, he might have gone he might have gone into the rankings. If he had beaten Cruz, I mean, holy shit, how big is that for his career, you know? So, you know, he, he I think he's a breakout fighter at some point, to some degree. Now, it's going to be tough in the bantamweight division, but I think at some point, Casey Kenny's going to start to break out here all right moving on to a very interesting and pivotal fight probably the most pivotal pivotal fight on the entire card here in the women's strawweight division between tisha torres and angela hill now tisha torres has a record of 12 and 5 angela hill has a record of 13 and 9 very good very good uh we'll take a look at the odds here tisha torres much to my surprise, is going to be the minus 140 favorite. Um, well, let's take a look at the rankings here. I think, unfortunately, we have these uh, two fighters ranked. Uh, we got Angela Hill at 12 and Tisha Torres at 14. Now, I want to look up what the UFC has uh, for rankings because I'm sure that they're... I'm sure Angela Hill is the number three fighter and Tisha Torres is the number nine fighter despite being on a fucking... 12 fight losing streak and having a rebound win over uh, someone making their debut but uh, I don't know maybe they maybe they tune into North Star Sports and uh, you know get the truth get the truth on some of the rankings uh, Angela Hill is 12 Tisha Torres is 10 they have her at 10 Jesus Christ tell me if this sounds like the number 10 fighter in in uh, division uh, we got a and really, when it comes to the rankings, you really only look at 
if I'm being very generous, you're looking at the last three years. Really what you're looking at is probably the last two and a half, two years when it comes to rankings. Unanimous decision loss to Jessica Andrade, a unanimous decision loss to Yuana Janjacek, a, a unanimous decision loss to Wei Li Zhang, a unanimous decision loss to Marina Rodriguez. Uh, about a year layoff, a win over Brianna Van Buren, who I don't think had a win in the UFC, either way was not ranked, and then a win over Sam Hughes, who was 5-1, who was making her UFC, de- UFC debut, who was not ranked. And somehow that's the uh, number 10 fighter in the strawweight division. That is uh, not a good sign for uh, the uh, strawweight division. Um, I really, really don't care about this fight. I have no idea. Well, I have <laughs> I have some idea why this is on a main card. But uh, I don't have any idea logically why this is on a main card. I don't think Angela Hill's that good of a fighter. I don't really think she's that interesting of a fighter. I think Tisha Torres is... Uh, not that good of a fighter uh, either. Um, I also find Angela Hill incredibly annoying. Her Peter Griffin laugh that she does is so fake. That's one of the things that really grinds my gears is fake laughs. Uh, you know, that's my, that might be my number one pet peeve. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, chewing with your mouth open, that's everybody. You know what I mean? But, like... Man, there's so many people I know in my life or that I have met in my life that I've had to be around that have fake laughs. And it's just, oh, there's nothing more infuriating. And it's not even like they're, they're trying to pull a fast one on anybody or it's like there's a malicious re- reason why they're having a fake laugh. But it's just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, couldn't you just be sincere and be like, oh, ha, that's funny. Like, I don't know. I f- fucking hate fake laughs. Uh, but... I like Angela Hill's chances to win this one because uh, I think Tisha Torres is a little bit washed. Although Angela Hill's 36, which is pretty fucking old for uh, being in the rankings uh, on the female side at any weight class. That'd be old for for uh, for bantamweight, men's bantamweight. Uh, she did have a win over Ashley Yoder. I don't know. I really need a fucking... I'm going to flip my phone again. Okay, screen up. I'm going to go Angela Hill. Okay, I'm going to go Angela Hill. Screen up. Smashed my computer. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go Angela Hill. Don't really care. All right. Moving on to a uh, fight that actually matters here. In the featured bout, uh, we'll have uh, ranked welterweights clashing here between uh, Vincente Luque and Michael Chiesa, Luque's 27 and 1. Chiesa is 17 and 4. Uh, looking at the odds, dead even. Both are the minus 110 uh, pick 'em. Very. Oh, and I'll get to the rankings here, of course. Uh, we're gonna have Vincente Luque at seven, Michael Chiesa at six. Very, very good matchmaking. I like this because these are these are really. Two unsung, highly ranked welterweights. You know, when you when you think of the welterweight division, you think of Usman, you think of Covington, you think of Masvidal, Edwards. These are these are all stars. You know, you even think about Tyron Woodley. You know, you think about guys who were big. Uh, but if you, you might be surprised to look at the rankings and see that these guys are are you know so high up there. They just kind of you know put in the work very quietly and climbed up the ranking so I like this and in a way this was always how it had to be because Michael Chiesa is never going to get a fucking fight with Jorge Masvidal you know what I mean Vincente Luque is never going to get a fight with Leon Edwards you know what I mean like they're stars and unfortunately just being real Chiesa and Luque are not stars yet so they're never going to get that so of course they're going to have to fight each other but I kind of I kind of like that. This is kind of what MMA should be. It's not about superstars and fucking Instagram followers and TikToks and shit like this. No, just two really good, kind of quiet guys. You know, Michael Chiesa does some desk work. Vincente Luque, I don't know what the fuck he does, but he seems like a really cool dude. Doesn't exactly have, you know, a Conor McGregor level social media following. But it's just kind of how it is. Two guys who are highly ranked, let's put them up against each other. And, you know, whoever wins this is going to be in a pretty good spot for some 
something big. Uh, I don't know what that would be. Again, they're going to have a dickens of a time trying to find a, a matchup ahead of them, somebody ahead of them in the rankings to agree to fight them because it's a very stagnant uh, welterweight division, that's for sure. Um, but but I love this. I, I, I really do. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, not to... De- diminish you know Luke's ability on the ground but uh you know I think this is a submission guy versus uh a brawler a marauder in uh Vincente Luque and obviously he's Brazilian so you got to assume he's got some good BJJ uh as well but um this is a tough one to pick obviously that's why it's a that's why it's a a pick him on here uh Luque obviously got up here uh from the uh, uh finish of Tyron Woodley back in March uh, finished uh, finished. Randy Brown, Nico Price uh, did have a loss in what could have been a breakout performance against Wonderboy Thompson, but you look at this guy's record and this is just in the UFC uh, he is 9-1 and, and in his last 10 so there's definitely something to him this was a guy who had a dog shit record coming into the UFC you know, off of the, off of the ultimate fighter he was 7-5-1 like, that's just, that's awful. That's Artem Lobov levels of, of records. And then, for whatever reason, when he got to the UFC, something just clicked. Uh, he has probably the toughest head of anyone in the UFC. Very, very hard to finish Vincente Luque. In fact, only one fighter's ever done it, and it was on the regional scene. And it was against a guy who had fucking five times the amount of fights that he had at that point. So... You're not going to finish Luque with strikes. It's possible you could finish him with a submission. Kiesa's very good on the ground. Um, but I think the big question for me is where is Kiesa striking? I don't really know where his striking is. I don't, you know, you obviously don't think of him as a striker. They're going to have an identical reach. Kiesa, you know, interestingly enough, is going to have five inches of a leg reach advantage. So maybe if he wants to throw some leg kicks, maybe that's something. That's uh, worthwhile uh, in, in investing in. Uh, I would say you look at the body of work for both of these guys. I like the body of work for Kiesa more, even though he has more losses in the UFC. Uh, you know, really, really never had it easy since coming into the UFC. I mean, uh, his his uh, well second fight in the UFC, technically the Ultimate Fighter finale counts as a UFC fight. So his third fight in the UFC technically ran into uh, Masvidal. Uh, you know, fought Joe Lozon, has a win over Jim Miller, Benil Dariush. Obviously, uh, you know, had a main event against Kevin Lee, lost to Anthony Pettis, but four-fight winning streak, a win over Magni, Dos Anjos, uh, Diego Sanchez, and Carlos Condit. That's not bad. Not bad. No, Sanchez and Condit were way past their primes, but those are those are good names. So I'm going to go Michael Chiesa on this one. I think Chiesa's going to win. I think if he can kind of... I mean, this doesn't sound good, but if he can stall on the ground a little bit, if he can kind of, you know, force it to be a ground fight a little more, maybe he gets a submission, maybe he doesn't, but, you know, just getting ground uh, control time uh, would be important. You really don't want to strike with Vincente Luque, and, the, the, you know, the striking numbers for Michael Chiesa uh, are very low. Again, that's because he's a grappler. Only gets hit with 1.71 significant strikes per minute. Again, that's not exactly an accurate representation of his, you know, true kickboxing stats, uh, Luque does ever so slightly get hit more than he lands, but he f- has a lot of power in those hands. And you're really just wasting your time and energy by punching him in the head. Uh, Kiesa, very active on the takedowns. Uh, Luque can land a takedown uh, as as well. Takedown defense is not uh, super amazing at 65%. Definitely not dog shit at 60- 65%. So I think Kiesa takes him down. You know, maybe gets a couple of minutes of ground control time each round and and gets the win. I think this would be so much more interesting if this was a main event. I think it'd be infinitely more interesting because I don't think either of them have issues with their cardio, certainly since Kiesa moved up. Not that he had an issue with his cardio at at lightweight. It was just more of a weight-cutting thing. But, you know, Kiesa's cardio is fine. It's good. Luque's cardio is good. But the fact that you can't finish Vincente Luque with strikes would make a 25 minute round fight so much more interesting because it's 25 minutes that Luque could finish Chiesa and Chiesa just has to survive 
Obviously, I'm oversimplifying that because Chiesa could finish Luque, but I just think it's so much more interesting if it's 25 minutes. Uh, but if it's 15, I'm going to go Chiesa. Again, wouldn't surprise me if Luque won, but I think uh, Michael Chiesa gets it done. And I don't know. Maybe maybe gets the rematch with Jorge Masvidal. I don't, I don't really know. All right, moving on to the co-main event. It's going to be in the bantamweight division between the former featherweight champion Jose Aldo and Pedro Munoz. Battle of uh, two Brazilians here. Aldo is 29-7. and seven. Munoz is 19-5. and five. Take a look at the rankings here. We're going to have Jose Aldo at 6, Pedro Munoz at 7. Very uh, appropriate uh, matchmaking. We'll take a look at the odds. Aldo is the minus 115 favorite, although it is a pick So, again, don't know how that works, but fair enough. Uh, stylistically, a very, very good fight. And, again, I kind of like it because it's, it's an established guy versus a guy who kind of needs a marquee win like this in Pedro Munoz. So, you know, they're both similar in rankings, not according to the UFC, by the way. Uh, they have Munoz at 9. But, you know, this is probably the biggest fight of Pedro Munoz's career. I mean, the Garbrandt one was pretty big, and that kind of propelled him into the, you know, top 10 and and all that. But I would say this, especially because he's Brazilian and Aldo's Brazilian, and this is the uh, co-main event on a pay-per-view. Probably the biggest fight of his career. Now, Pedro Munoz is not a young fighter. You know, he's called the young Punisher, but he is 34 years old. I, th- He might be older than... Oh, Aldo's 34 as well. That's fucking crazy to think about stuff like that. Like, holy shit. Aldo was so young when he was, you know, when he first became the WEC champion and, and shit like that. But, uh, th- yeah, they're the same age. That's insane. But, uh, you know... Munoz is running out of time a little more so than Aldo because Aldo has the name recognition. Munoz, you know, this this would mean a lot to to get a win over Aldo. And you know, if you get a win over Aldo, I mean, you're probably one win away from a title shot. I mean, that's going to do you a lot of good. Uh, Munoz has uh, T-Rex arms at 35 inches, so uh, you know he's going to have to get in close against Aldo. And Aldo's a great kick, kickboxer, great kicks to the body, uh, great leg kicks in general. Obviously, a fucking tremendous boxer. So I think this is, I think this is war. Uh, you know, I, I think this is going to be, uh, you know, a very, very active fight. They're both uh, active strikers, especially Pedro Munoz. And you know, their defense is good. Their significant strikes landed are uh, good as well. So. they're gonna go at it they are gonna go at it um i i I think the ufc should do this more often certainly with co-main events that are not uh title fights if both if both fighters agree the the fight should be five rounds it should be five rounds how fun would this be over five rounds uh, you know, if somebody, you know, doesn't want it to be five rounds and, you know, fair enough, you can opt out or, or whatever. This would be determined, you know, fucking weeks in advance. But, you know, we, we, we do. I mean, we did it for Nate Diaz, even though that dude's never won a fucking belt in his life. Uh, so why not do it for Jose uh, Aldo? Um, you know, it just makes it a little more disappointing because it's going to be harder to get a finish in 15. Although you could look on the bright side and say, well, you know, they're really going to go for it. You're not going to gas out in 15. Um, both are really, really good strikers. It'll be curious to see if they, um, if either of them shoots for a takedown. I couldn't imagine either of them do it. You know, Munoz is perfectly fine to stand there in the pocket and fucking sling it. I mean, he could have shot for a takedown on, on Cody Garbrandt. He didn't, and he knocked him out, and Aldo is not going to, you know, shy away from a gunfight. So, you know, big fight. I mean, if Aldo wins, I'm not going to say it's a title shot, but again, like, you get that, all, all, you know, there are certain fighters who have that superstar treatment. Aldo definitely has it. So Aldo's not, Aldo's not four fights away from another title fight, but he's also not one away, but you know, he's somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm going to go with Jose Aldo on this one. Um, it's 
it's kind of tough to explain why because on paper i mean it's very it's very uh similar but you know i, I look at someone like pedro munoz uh i look at the fight against aljamain sterling uh, I think he won against Frankie Edgar, to be honest. I, I think that's an uh, incredibly uh, bad decision. You know, I, I just don't know. I, I think Aldo has a, a slight advantage in striking at this point in his career, and I don't really think anything other than striking matters in this fight. So we'll see if Jose Aldo can rekindle uh, some of some of his uh, greatness here. But, uh, you know... I don't know. This this is another one that you could do a, a coin flip on, and I wouldn't really have a, a problem with it. But uh, regardless of who wins, Aldo or Munoz, the fans, the fans at the end of the day are going to win on this one because this is uh, one hell of a uh, co-main event. All right, moving on now to the main event of the evening. It's going to be for the interim UFC heavyweight championship of the world. Between Derek the Black Beast Lewis and Cyril Gon. Lewis is 25 and 7. Gon is 9 and 0. Oh, we'll take a look at the odds. Cyril Gon is the pretty heavy minus 360 favorite. Uh, we'll look at the rankings here and we'll have uh, Derek Lewis at number 2, Cyril Gon at number 3. Uh, I'm actually really surprised to see that Cyril Gaon is the minus 360 favorite. I am shocked by that. Now, the good news is that odds don't mean anything, and uh, I think Curtis Blades was something like the minus 350 favorite against Derek Lewis, and uh, he got put to sleep very quickly. Um, This is going to be one hell of uh, a a main event. Uh, The the atmosphere is going to be fucking insane in Houston. Now, again... I want to dispel the myth, and I think everybody knows this is true, that uh, this fight, a belt is on the line because Derek Lewis is fighting in Houston. If this fight was taking taking place in Minneapolis, Edmonton, Tokyo, any other city on the planet, a belt is not on the line, but the UFC contracted to have an event uh, this Saturday in uh, Houston, Texas. They said Derek Lewis was going to be on it, and therefore we need an interim belt. There's no absolute fucking lutely no reason why an interim heavyweight belt needs to be uh, a thing other than what I just laid out for you now I am a massive massive fan of Cyril Gaon I've been a fan of him since his UFC debut so you can go back and look at my tweets I thought this guy is the real deal I really thought this guy was a title contender uh, from the first time I saw him I think he's very, very special. His physique is really good, and that's kind of a weird thing to say, but at heavyweight, there's just so many fat guys. There's so many fat guys. And Cyril Gaon is an athletic heavyweight. Like, you'll hear you'll hear like the UFC broadcast or like, you know, I don't know, probably somebody like there's probably some boomer like Trent Rinesmith or something talk about like oh Alan Crowder that's an athletic heavyweight right there no that's fucking not most heavyweights are not athletic Cyril Khan is athletic if I had to pick one fighter one heavyweight who I could you know use the uh, adjective of uh, uh, athletic on it'd be Cyril Khan I think this guy's a freak uh, his clinch game is really good. His uh, managing of distance, I think, is the best I've seen in the heavyweight division you know, over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, he, he's very springy. He's very smart. He's the best defensive heavyweight uh, that, that I've ever seen. He, his defense is very, very good. Obviously, he has some power because he's a heavyweight. I wouldn't say, you know, he's a KO artist. Uh, and, and, you know, he's got good Muay Thai. He's good on the ground as well. Uh, you know, has the threat of, uh, you know, the submission. So I think he is the total package. I think it's very hard. I think it's very, very hard to find negatives in Cyril Gaon's game other than tentativeness. Honestly, that's really it because he hasn't fucking lost. The only thing that people bitched about against, uh, like, Rosenstrike is, oh, man, he's not just going out there and fucking, you know throwing with a hundred percent power and just gassing himself out in round one the only negative thing people have ever been able to say about Cyril Gaon is that he's not the most exciting fighter to ever exist ever that's basically it 
And he was exciting in the win against Volkov, so it's even bullshit to say that he's a tentative or, or patient fighter. He's just a very smart defensive fighter who's very cool with fighting at range. And, uh, you know, there are some parallels with Derek Lewis in, uh, you know, the, the approach to the fight with Curtis Blades, where everybody thought Blades would win, and Derek Lewis's game plan, which turned out to be the right game plan, was, I'm really not going to do anything, I'm really just going to kind of sit here, do whatever, not really do anything, and then as soon as you go for a takedown, I'm going to fucking send you to hell, and it was a boring fight up until then, but he knew that, uh, Blades was a grappler. He knew that ultimately that's what Blades wants to do. He might not shoot for a takedown in the first five seconds, but that's ultimately what he wants to do. Cyril Gaon doesn't need that. Cyril Gaon's a kickboxer. Now, he can take you down. I don't really know if that's the plan you, you know, I, I, I don't know if that's what you want to do against Derek Lewis. Not that he's, you know, elite on the ground, but again, do you want to risk getting an uppercut on a takedown and ending the fight? But we saw it against Jairzinho. We saw it against Rosen's, or, uh, uh, Volkov. Both over 25 minutes that he can win a unanimous decision and win it very handedly. He will win. Cyril Gan will win every round of uh, a five-round fight. So Cyril Gan can be patient as a motherfucker. Just standing at range, never getting close you know, being very good defensively. The only thing that I think is going to be a problem that we saw against Volkov and maybe even against Rosenstrike is some of the times when he shoots in on a clinch, he does end up eating some shots. Not a lot. So maybe it only seems like a lot by comparison because he doesn't get hit doing anything else. But sometimes when he goes for clinches, either in the clinch or on the way to the clinch, he does get hit a little bit. But again, Cyril Gaon doesn't need to clinch. He's not going to sit there and get ants in his fucking Venom shorts because he, he hasn't clinched or gone for a takedown in the first 30 seconds. So I really think Cyril Gaon wins this fight however he wants to. And you're, you're basically reducing Derek Lewis down to... Well, he needs to land a lucky shot, which, fair enough, that is true, but it also is kind of cliche, and it's like, okay, well, I could point to you a million ways in which Cyril Gaon could win. There's only one way Derek Lewis can win, and it's with a... Well, I don't want to say lucky punch, because that fucking, you know, that's kind of demeaning, but, you know, it's with a one-shot KO. That's how Derek Lewis wins. He's not going to win by outstriking you. He's not going to win by outclinching you. He's not going to win by outgrappling you. He's not going to win by uh, uh, trying to submit you, and he's definitely not going to win by going to a decision. His only way of winning is to land one good punch on Cyril Gaon, but Cyril Gaon doesn't allow that to happen. When has Cyril Gaon ever been clocked? And he, he, again, he's fought great fighters. I mean, former champions, uh, you know, former, uh, uh, well, I guess not title contenders, but that's a very good stretch, Volkov, Rosenstrike, and DeSantos. So uh, again, I think Cyril Gaon wins however uh however he gets it done and uh you know if he wants to get taken down maybe he could maybe he could get the finish i mean you know cormier had the uh, submission finish of Derek lewis but I, I see the fans getting very frustrated in this fight because i don't think it's going to be a fucking you know stand and bang war it's just going to be cyril gone being the terminator being a very smart defensive terminator calculating risks and i, I i'm going to say I think it's possible Cyril Gaon finishes Derek Lewis. I think it's equally possible he finishes him from uh, TKO or a submission, but I'd say it's overwhelmingly likely that Cyril Gaon just wins yet another five-round unanimous decision, wins at 50-45, because Derek Lewis, Derek Lewis is not going to win a round. If Derek Lewis wins a round, that means he wins the fight. You understand? Because if he won the round, he probably finished you with a lucky shot, with a big punch. You know, he doesn't... There's no 10-8 rounds with Derek Lewis. There's no escaping that round. Either either he finishes you in a round or you win the round. Like, that's kind of how it goes with Derek Lewis, especially at, at such a high level against Cyril Gaon. So, I've said Cyril Gaon is going to be a, a, an elite fighter for a long time, and it's my lock of the week. It's the mailman's lock of the week. Cyril Gaon will beat Derek Lewis, but I'm going to do you one better. 
it's mailman's lock of the week that Cyril Gaon beats Francis Ngannou. I think he beats Ngannou. I think Cyril Gaon's the best heavyweight uh, in the UFC right now, and he, he very well might be the best heavyweight ever uh, in UFC history. I mean, he is the next gen. He is the present. And I, I, I just can't say enough good things about Cyril Gaon. I I've literally have not seen a fighter who has fucking less flaws than Cyril Gaon. So uh, I think he wins. And then just very quickly diving into some of the stats here. Uh, 5.1 significant strikes landed per minute for Gon compared to 2.5 for Derek Lewis. 2.6 significant strikes absorbed for Cyril Gon, 2.1 for Derek Lewis. But again, Cyril Gon's the more active fighter, and I would even dispute that, uh, those numbers. But 63% significant strike defense, Derek Lewis 44% significant strike defense. Now, I think the good news for Derek Lewis is because it's going to be a stand-up kickboxing fight, and Cyril Gaon will be somewhat patient. I don't think Derek Lewis is going to gas out, although five rounds does kind of concern me because I do think I do think we will get to rounds three, four, and five, and that's normally never uh, it's normally never been a good sign for Derek Lewis uh, in, in, in rounds like that. Um, yeah, that's all the relevant uh, stats there. But yeah, I'm going to go Cyril Gaon, unanimous decision over Derek Lewis. And Cyril Gaon, unanimous decision over Francis Ngannou. Uh, so with that, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, again, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star M-I-N. Be sure to check out our website at northstarsports.media. And thanks for tuning in, everybody.